Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce Esfandiar Barahini of SDPN Sports and the co-host of the Objective Basketball Pod that everyone should check out. Thanks so much for taking the time, S, and and, and coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you so much. Uh, when when you message me to chat, we always interact online on Twitter and whatnot. So it was uh, it was a no brainer for me, man. Appreciate <laughs> you having me on. Thanks. That 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 means a lot, and uh, I really love your stuff and um, love what you do at SDPN as well. And sure. I first want to get into your career a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about kind of when you first thought you want to pursue a career in 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 sports journalism. Wow, um, man. So I, I'm actually I'm I'm like a week away from being 28 years old, uh, which would mean it's been 10 years that I've been writing basketball stuff. I started when I was 18. Uh, I, I joined a place called Def Pen. Um, okay. It's like a it's an online platform. Uh, and I just r- signed on as like a daily writer. So any news that popped up, any news things, I would just kind of write about it to a quick 300, 500 words. Uh, and I liked it. I enjoyed that aspect of it. But I was not I was not even thinking of doing sports media mm. as a legitimate thing. Every time someone had brought the idea up to me, they're like, Oh yeah. Like you would be great in broadcast. You know, you speak well, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, ah, man, I just don't see it as like a viable option. I, I just didn't believe in myself to be honest yeah. with you to, to say it was possible for me to do this. Um, so then I went and did, you know, business school and I hated it. And then <laughs> I did law school for a little bit. And I also like I, I actually enjoyed that quite a bit, but I knew that that wasn't the lifestyle I wanted to live okay. uh, for myself. It just like the the hours, the taxing time. Yeah. I'm trying to raise a family at some point in time in my life. You know what I mean? And and that that side of it wasn't appealing to me. Uh, and so, you know, things kind of went away. So it kind of I kind of bounced around in a bunch of different spots and I landed at the College of Sports Media, did two years there, uh, learned the broadcast side of things. And then, you know, from there, just started working more and more um, for different companies. Obviously, you know, there's like the credits. Everybody has the Twitter bios. Yeah. You can see yeah, you can yeah. see all the bylines <laughs> and places and whatnot. Yeah, I've, I've worked at some some really cool places and had the opportunity to either internship or work with some really, really cool people. So that's the the gist of it that is a 10-year journey summarized in in one minute so yeah. that that's probably that's probably the best way to put it to you without exhausting you yeah yeah no no no. i think you put it very eloquently there and i i want to ask you because like what's your favorite part about covering the nba and and the raptors like what when like what do you get giddy about writing or talking about and, and, yeah. and what's your favorite part of of being in the industry Man, you know what? To be honest with you, it changes. Uh, okay. It, it really does change. I, I remember at the beginning, I was very, very into, I think a, a lot of people are when they first get into it, but they very into the transactional side of things, very mm. into the player movement, the, oh my God, what's going to happen? How is this team going to look? Um, and, you know, I think, I think a lot of people in enter the sport nowadays from that perspective they get interested because of that you know what super team is is joining here and i think that's what sort of got me into it when i was first a kid um and i was in high school and you know like the miami heat were joining and i i hated it i hated the fact that that was happening (laughs) yeah me too you know know, so like i i think that part of it was something that intrigued me but then there was this other side that i started to really fall in love with which is the on court schematic the elements that like not a lot of people can discuss fluently i think i looked at that as a challenge 
Um, and I was like, I need to learn that side of things. I would love to learn that side of things. And I've, I've coached before. I, I've, I've obviously played the game. So I understood some of the concepts at a very, very basic level, but I wanted to learn more. And over the past couple of years, I think that's been the biggest goal of mine is like figuring out ways to relay the on-court minutia in a, in a digestible way for people who might not understand it. Right. Like someone who might not know what like a pin at a very yeah. basic level, what yeah. a pin down screen is try to elaborate on that and talk about that in a way that makes it so that people understand the game of basketball a little bit more. That's, <laughs> that's sort of the goal at this point. And what's, what's the hardest part for you? Is it specific plays that people don't understand? Like what, what do you try I, to I do? I think the hardest part is like understanding that I'm also learning uh, and yeah. I'm also trying to figure it out and see, you know, cause I don't, I don't know. There's, there's so many other smart people when it comes yeah. to the on-court side of things that, that know a hundred times more than I do. I mean, there's some people that, that have forgot more basketball than I will ever learn in my <laughs> life, you know? Uh, so I, I think the hardest part is realizing like, it's a learning process. You will figure out uh, where you have gone right and where you have gone wrong and to be okay with that, to be accepting of yourself also trying to figure things out, you know? Yeah. yeah no, no. Has there been a moment for you? I'm just thinking where you're like, oh, now I can see that's a Spanish pick and roll right? yeah, yeah, or yeah. something along those lines. Where I actually, I, I kind of sort of sound like a maniac now when I watch games by myself. I don't do this when I'm with friends. Cause like, why would you do this when yeah, you're with yeah. friends? But when I'm by myself, I'll just be like, okay, pin down. And then he goes into a dribble handoff and then, okay. Oh, that's a Chicago action. And then, okay. Yeah. Okay. So pin down. And like, yeah. I, I'll, I'll be <laughs> mumbling that type of stuff to myself. And I might sound like a mad scientist when I'm doing it, but no. uh, yeah, I, I've sort of gotten to the habit of doing that because it helps me in that moment. And then throughout the course of the game, if I'm realizing, oh, this is like, they're, they're like spamming Spain pick and roll, or they're spamming this one dribble handoff. It's just like, oh, that's the story. There we go. Let's see what we can do here. So mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's essentially what it was. And, and, and when you like, people should check out your piece. We were talking about off air, about you did a, a finals, uh, a finals preview for SDPN. Yeah. Um, when you have a piece like that, or even a shorter thing that isn't, I think, 3000 words or something, uh, <laughs> what's your process for writing in terms of making it manageable and understandable for people? I think for previews, there's, uh, you know, I've, I've sort of figured out a, a specific structure, which is, hey, we're going to go through these key points that I think, uh, you know, from watching tape, from looking at the numbers, what is going to be the, the talking points really when it comes to the series. I think when it comes to previews like that, I've actually found a, a good structure and finding structure. I mean, in general, when writing something huge, massive part of, yeah. of everything. Uh, and then, you know, throughout the year, I've done different types of videos, whether it be like player breakdowns or, you know, different stuff that would be more analytical on the YouTube side of things for SDPN. And for those, it's, it's obviously about figuring out how you are going to relay something that to you seems like it makes sense. Like for me, uh, watching the New York Knicks and I'll be like, oh, man, Jalen Brunson as like an isolation score is opening up everything for this Knicks team. But maybe someone doesn't realize that. Maybe someone thinks, oh, it's actually, you know, Julius Randle that's yeah. doing this or or Emmanuel Quickly that's doing this. And yeah, they might have a point. But how am I going to relay what I see in my head in a way that now makes sense to you? Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that's that's always been my goal with whatever content that I decide to make. And with that, you you we, we, we talked about at the top, your, your podcast as well. Like, what do you think are some of the keys to make a podcast like the objective basketball podcast or any podcast that you've been on uh, yeah. work? 
Well, man, first of all, I would say do not start a podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, 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 I'm kidding. I mean, look, the podcast industry is really, really hard. That is the first thing I would recommend and say to anybody who is starting a an NBA podcast or a basketball podcast in general. There's just so many great podcasts that it's hard to, you know, turn the corner, so to speak, when it comes to that. So I think having a realistic expectation of what it is to start a podcast, what you're trying to do. And then also um, when it comes to conveying messages, when it comes to talking about stories, it's really about figuring out how you're going to work with your co-hosts or the people you're you're interviewing, the people that you're going to try to, um, you know, engage with. I think those are the two key things. It's, Hey, how are we going to attract people to listen to this podcast? How are we going to differentiate ourselves? And also how are we going to develop our chemistry? Me and Lauren, uh, we have, we have kind of, we had had, um, we'd worked together, I guess you could say in different things before the podcast. So we sort of knew how we would bounce ideas off of each other. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier that way instead of, you know, throwing two people on a mic and being like, Hey, start a podcast. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and what's it been like working at SDPN? Obviously they, they started, uh, with Steve Dangle and everyone, someone yeah. he'll, he'll join the show later, uh, this summer, but what, what's that been like working there? Sports is fun, man. That's our motto. Uh, and we, we try to, we try to live by it. Like, I really think that everybody there has a fun and engaging attitude when it comes to making content. It's what I think is trying to differentiate us between other sports networks is, Hey, we will try to find the fun. We will try to tackle this from, from a fan perspective, because we want it to be digestible for fans. We want it to be easy for fans to to watch the game, to enjoy the game, to love the game, really. And I think that's that's a big part of what I want to do on the basketball side. It's like, okay, I understand SDPN is mostly a hockey audience. They obviously have an incredible hockey. Go Leafs go, right? <laughs> but at the same time, uh, you know, hey, let me introduce you to basketball. Let me introduce you to something that you might have an interest in, but now let me teach you about it as well. And I think, you know, back to my point earlier of like trying to make it as digestible as possible, when you're trying to do that for a hockey audience, it's really like you have to break it down in ways that make it digestible for those guys to listen to. So I don't know if I'm making sense, but that's no, no, what no, our no. goal is yeah, at SDP. I, I think I think the goal of sports are fun and and, and show that yeah. off, right? Yeah, no, of course. And uh, before I get into the NBA and the Raptors and, and much more, what advice would you give? I, I actually watched your Wayne Embry scholarship video in, in preparation <laughs> for this. So uh, I hope you enjoyed oh, that. Hey, really listen, uh, listen, MLSC, I'm still out here, man. If yeah, you guys exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, oh. So going off that a bit, um, if you could tell maybe yourself then or, or even, yeah. you know, future prospective journalists, what advice would you give them? Uh, I would say, what advice would I give? I think I would probably say to find your audience, find the people that enjoy your work and really dig into that, really build a community of people that enjoy your stuff, build a community of people who really, really like things. That's something I'm personally trying to work on right now is, is trying to interact with people as much as I can online so that we can, you know, essentially build a community of people that can enjoy your stuff with the access to the internet, with the access to YouTube and social media that we have nowadays, it's so much easier to do what, what I, what I'm doing, what you're doing. It's very easy. We're jumping on a podcast. We're talking on zoom and this is now content, so to speak, to be able to push out. It's easy to do these things. And I think that accessibility makes it so that more people are going to try in order to differentiate yourself among the millions of people who are doing the similar thing. 
build a community. That's the number one thing I would say. Sounds good. I'm definitely trying to do that on this podcast. So I'll take that tip and, uh, and be as maybe be, I'm probably too addicted to Twitter, but maybe stay on that. a little. Aren't we all dude? Yeah, honestly, it's, it's, it's it's like I always tell my girlfriend I I have an addiction, but uh, it, it, it it's <laughs> I can't quit. I yeah, can't no, quit. it's yeah. like it's too good for me. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I want to move to the NBA, and and first I have a kind of fun, a sports or fun uh, kind of reference in terms of sure. this hypothetical question. If you were the NBA commissioner for one day, what rule would you change? Oh wow! Um, one rule I would change if I was NBA or format anything like it doesn't have to be uh, on court necessarily. This so. isn't anything crazy, but I would say don't let the owners hoist the Larry O'Brien Trophy before <laughs> the players do. I I don't even know if that's a rule. I don't know if it. I, I understand I they is. own the team. They own the team, right? I get it. Yeah. They got they got to lift the trophy. It's cool, all right. But also they they did not do any of the work other than spend the money. Let let Nikola Jokic lift the trophy. Let whoever else lift the trophy. That's the one rule I would change. I don't know. I don't even know if that's no. I think that's a North American sports thing because other than hockey, it's like the NFL. You see it. I I think uh, other sports. So it's definitely um, it's not it's not a good look. But uh, hey, that's uh, the way it is. What it is. I I I definitely agree with you on that. Um, now I want to ask you a little bit about the Raptors. Obviously, pretty up and down tumultuous year. Um, yeah. losing the the plan, but what do you think of of this team moving forward? They have a lot of off season decisions. Um, obviously, yeah. they need to find a new coach, but like, where do you see the state of this franchise? Because it really feels like they're kind of in a muck. Yeah, I mean, look, from what you have said, it just sounds like there are a million different directions that they can go. That that's really what it is, and I think. Even from their point of view, they are also trying to figure out what direction they would like to go. I think they are also indecisive in what they want to you know, attack, how they want to look like next season, because there's just so many questions. You mentioned not having a head coach. They obviously need to address that first and foremost. And then after that, it's okay. We have three major pieces as free agents, and then we have two guys who are up for contract extensions. This is the biggest offseason for this current version of the team. How are you going to mold into what it's going to be for the next five, 10 years? These, this summer is the time to make that decision. What they do, I think there's just so many variables with what happened, so it's impossible to predict. You could, you could sit here and give me a, a compelling argument that they're going to run it back, but you could also give me a compelling argument that they should completely tear it down and you know start all over. So I, 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 think, I think you can go both ways, and that's why you see so much you said tumultuous animosity, I guess, between yeah. Raptors Twitter and what the decision making will be like this summer for the Raptors. Yeah, I was definitely part of uh, Raptors Twitter on that one uh, at the trade deadline. But um, I feel you. I, I, I want to ask you about the coach. Obviously, that's probably the first thing that, at the forefront of Raptors fans. What were your thoughts on the dismissal of Nick Nurse? Obviously, now the Philly coach. And um, yeah. out of the reported candidates, who would you want to be the next coach of the Toronto Raptors? So first on the Nick Nurse side, I think, uh, you know, that relationship had sort of reached its point. Uh, It had gotten to the point where both sides sort of wanted to, you know, end things amicably, if you will, although they did say, you know, fired. So maybe not as amicably as as they (laughs) wanted to. But yeah, they definitely it it had reached the end of the road. It was it become a stale relationship. Uh, and it's crazy to say because of the fact that obviously, you know, five years ago, 2019, he ended up winning an NBA championship with that squad. 
he has he has the highest winning percentage among he Raptors yeah. coaches, he, something along must. the lines of that. Yeah. If it's it's not it's, the most amount of wins, but it is the highest winning percentage, right? Yeah. Um, and I mean, look, he he is a well known coach in the NBA. He's most he's well sought after, obviously, with what the race was to to go and get his talents. I think there's no question that he is a good coach, but sometimes you just need to hear a new voice. You just need to hear something different in the locker room. And I imagine that's what they're going for. It's some kind of cultural reset. Messiah Jury has mentioned it, you know, in his pre- uh, post-game press con- or post-season press conference yeah. that they needed some kind of reset because they had lost everything that they were sort of supposed to be. Um, and yeah, I think I think that's where things went wrong. When it comes to the replacement side of things, who who they will go with? Uh, man, your guess is as good as mine uh, from that department. Obviously, we've heard Jordy Fernandez, uh, Sacramento Kings assistant coach. We've heard of Steve Nash. We heard uh, Sergio Scariolo. There is, you know, there I, there's some murmurings of a Kenny Atkinson, mm. Darko, right? So there's there's a lot of options out there. Um, which way they go? In my opinion, I really do think that what which coach they hire will determine which way they go. And I don't mean that in the sense that like they're looking for coaches to sales pitch them, but maybe the type of coach that they get will be indicative of, hey, are we going to run this back? Or are we going to go in a direction where we're going to go younger, we're going to go fresher, we're going to go, you know, find a new voice for this team? I'm not sure. Is that mostly due to if they get an experienced coach or a first time coach? Like that seems to me like if it's a first timer. Yeah probably a reset and probably not a run it back if it's a kenny atkinson maybe it's yeah exactly although you know with some of these guys you can you can give the argument for both like for kenny atkinson he's a great player development coach so you can see them saying hey we're gonna reset around kenny but also because he has experience as a head coach he's been with the warriors the brooklyn nets etc you can say oh yeah this is a guy we can run it back with so you there, there are some candidates that could do both monty williams for example is another guy i although the pistons most likely yeah, will be hiring i saw that him. i saw that yeah he's another guy that i think could take this franchise into different directions whereas let's say they hired jordy fernandez right i would be very shocked if they decided to run it back with jordy fernandez i think that is a coach that you have so that you can develop alongside a developing core same thing Mm -hmm. probably applies to a guy like darko or you know maybe even chris quinn to a certain extent so i i think some of these guys you can see that they would be they would be hired for a certain reason you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and yeah that's 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 the way i would assess it if you will and i want to ask you as like if what do you think this team should do like your own (laughs) opinion because i'm on full-on break it up like i'm not saying yeah trade it for you know pennies on the dollar but i just don't think this core is going in the right direction would you rebuild do you think retooling or like running it back makes a whole lot of sense what's what's your opinion so i was i was talking about this in a group chat uh with with some buddies uh some people who are on raptors twitter as well uh yeah hint hint on on who that might be but uh (laughs) what's it called they we essentially were talking about how this team is get becoming really expensive and they are not necessarily becoming as talented as they are expensive. Um, And I think that that problem is only going to be even more exasperated by the new CBA because of that second tax apron. 
Um, and on top of that, you're looking at extensions for Scotty Barnes soon. You're looking at extensions for Precious Achua soon. Obviously, we talked about Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi. So now this team is becoming uncontrollably expensive. It's like inflation. It's like the Toronto housing market where you're <laughs> like, whoa, I don't know if I can even afford this. So yeah. I, th- there's a level to me. I think that's the biggest concern here is, okay, so if you believe in this core, this is it. This you you are not allowing yourself room to improve around the margins. You're not allowing yourself room to build around things. Yeah, maybe a star becomes available and you can package some of those things for that star. But in the meantime, you are really limiting your flexibility to build around this team. You can't go out and add those bench pieces, those rotation pieces that the Raptors so desperately needed last season. Um, and you're kind of locking yourself into these guys. Are these the guys that you want to lock yourself into? I think for some of them, you can argue yes. For Pascal Siakam, he's obviously been an all-NBA player. He has the talent. He has the ability. We've seen that. But are you locking yourself into him for five more years throughout the rest of his prime? I think those are the questions you have to ask yourself. Personally, what I would choose, I agree with you. I think they had an opportunity at the deadline to switch things up, to go a different direction, to angle themselves, to be better positioned in this current lottery that we're talking about. They had a, I mean, who knows about what deals were actually available. This is, this is part of the, the deal with fans is like, we really don't know what, you know, what was actually available at the trade deadline, but at the same time, nothing, something is better than nothing. And they Um, also added like, like, I think if they had not made a move, fans would be like, Oh, that makes sense. Like, yeah. I don't want to trade Fred for a you know a top twenty protected pick or something, but they added. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I definitely think it doesn't make sense. And and on that, would you trade a like? There's a lot of rumors with Portland and the third overall pick. Would you trade a Siak? Like for me, that's a no brainer. But I would. Yes, I I would. I I've I've said it a bunch of times. But if if Scoot Henderson is available at three, I'm I'm a little less intrigued if it's Brandon Miller. To be honest with you, that's available at three or Amen Thompson. But if it's Scoot Henderson at three, I'm doing that trade and not looking back. Like I I I love Pascal. I love what he's done for the city, the franchise. He's obviously a winning player, and I would love to see him you know thrive on another team as well. I think he's one of those guys that deserves to get the love that he hasn't gotten in Toronto. Yeah. Um, so yes, I would do that in a heartbeat if I was them, if that presented itself, if the Blazers said, Hey, we will give you number three in Simons for Pascal Siakam, you mail that in and say yes. Yeah. And, and with that, obviously with this past season for the Raptors, a lot of it being an underwhelming season can be attributed to Scotty Barnes and just kind of him beating representing the season because he did have a lackluster season. Obviously he wasn't bad, but yeah. What do you, what what kind of things do you think he needs to improve on? And do you, have you changed what you think his ceiling is from after his rookie year to, to now? Yeah, I, I don't know if I've changed what I think his ceiling is, but I, I have changed my own individual expectations of him. I, that doesn't mean that he can't potentially break those expectations, break through that barrier that I've, that mental barrier that I've put on who Scotty Barnes can be. But I think the second season was really putting him in a tough spot because of the fact that, Look, in year one, he was put in an ideal situation, not a lot of responsibilities. He could kind of figure out what he wanted to on a playoff team. He didn't necessarily have to be the guy. Um, And on top of that, the shooters on the team were helping him tremendously open up space. When you have to guard Fred Van Vliet, when you have to guard Gary Trent Jr., OG Ananobi, even a Chris Boucher, guys like that, 
even Precious Chua, second, you know, the second he, half he of the All Star break, he shot amazing, right? Year. Their shooting fell off a cliff last season, and that just made it so that the spacing was tighter and tighter and tighter. That that affected Pascal Siakam, and that affected Scotty Barnes, two guys who love to operate in the mid post, high post area. They like to work in the paint. And if you can't do that, if you if you are limiting the amount of space that the guys work with, yes, of course they're not going to have as good of seasons. It's all about context. It's about putting these guys in the right situation to succeed. If Nikola Jokic was surrounded by guys who couldn't shoot, right? If he if he was surrounded by guys who were if he was surrounded by the Raptors roster, yeah, I was literally okay, thinking the same thing. Right? Yeah. If he was surrounded by the Raptors roster, how uh, how elite would he be? Yeah, he'd still be great. Don't get me wrong. But he wouldn't be as effective because everybody would be able to just double team him and then he kicks it out to his teammates. His teammates are just missing these shots. I think a lot of that has to apply to Scotty Barnes as well. Not to the same level, obviously, but when you put them in awful situations, awful on-court context, it just hinders their performance more. And and to, to that point, even despite all that, I think Scotty did get tangibly better in some areas. I think he became more consistent as a defender. I think he he grew and tapped into his playmaking potential even more. And yeah, the scoring will come. It's something that is consistently evolving. But the tertiary areas of his game, I think they grow. So they grew. Sorry, but yeah. Do do you worry just as a nitpick? nitpick sorry about just his on-ball defense and especially against guards because he just gets blown by and I don't really understand it because you look at him and you see well Mm -hmm. he's athletic and long why is he getting like do you think that's something Scotty needs a coach to tell him that they they, I'm not maybe maybe Nick Nurse didn't maybe he like because the Raptors love to do a lot of on-ball pressure right they love to hound guys at the point of attack and yeah, Scotty was tasked with guarding a lot of guards this season, and that made for some pretty bad, ugly defensive plays where he was just getting blown by, and and not even getting blown by, but like just flat out quicker guards. He was getting blown by like by like James Harden, yeah, by you know uh, Tyus Jones, guys that are like slower guards, and he was like that's that's not the right idea. I think Scotty is more. He's going to be a great defender when he's off the ball, roaming, using his length to be able to pick off passes, to be able to block shots as a weak side rim protector. I think that's the way to go with Scotty. In order for him to be a successful on-ball player, I think he has to not guard guards as much. I think he needs to guard threes and fours and fives. And then when it comes to being switched out onto guards, he needs to learn how to use his length more versus trying to use his foot speed, which is not that good. He doesn't have the greatest of foot speed. Yeah try to use your length more to to contest shots versus you know pressing up on a guy and trying to pressure him that way i think that's the way to go a coach needs to tell him that though that's the issue here i think that's the biggest thing is hey we're not going to be as aggressive with you you can use your length you can kind of space the uh, give them space that way and then contest with with an open hand so and and that's where a new coach might kind of benefit him because they're just not pressing every single possession essentially yeah, and, and forcing him to to be in a position that's disadvantageous for him so that makes sense um uh, i want to move a little bit to the nba and, and your your the story that you wrote and, and previewing the nba finals maybe just tell us about how you see the matchup uh in the the finals between the denver nuggets and, and the miami heat and and yeah. what you think maybe some key kind of matchups to look forward within the the game itself Sure. I mean, look, it's a rare NBA Finals, right? We, I would not have imagined the Miami Heat being in the NBA Finals 
out of all the West teams that I had making it to the NBA Finals, I mean, it's not a surprise that the Nuggets are here, but I think some people would have said the Warriors, some people would have said the Suns, some people had, you know, I think those guys were at least ahead for the casuals to say, hey, this is the team that we think is going to make it to the Finals. A lot of people were sleeping on the Nuggets. So I think from both sides, you're looking at two teams that have been quote-unquote slept on throughout the season. Uh, and they, they've done a miraculous job, a, a great job, really, of of proving people wrong. I think that's like the storyline aspect of things is how there's so much doubt around both of these teams. And yet throughout all that doubt, they've still prevailed and, and you know, been very, very successful this season. Obviously, have a chance to win an NBA championship. I think the on-court side really is decided by how this Miami Heat team plays defense against Nikola Jokic. That is the number one factor that might def- that might essentially determine the entire series. I could talk about a bunch of different points. We could we could discuss Miami's shooting and if they if they can keep up offensively. We can talk about how they guard Jamal Murray. We can talk about how the Nuggets guard Jimmy Butler. But I think it really does start with what the hell are they going to do against Nikola Jokic? The Lakers were probably the best position team to guard a guy like Nikola Jokic, and they got swept. And <laughs> that doesn't necessarily help this Miami Heat team who is in a less advantageous position to be able to guard a guy like Jokic. Bam is is big, he's a big dude, he's strong, but he is not he's not 7 feet tall and he definitely doesn't have the length or the versatility to be able to stay with a guy like Jokic consistently. I think that's a bad matchup for a guy like Bam and it becomes an issue that way. And then that's that's sort of where the series starts. It's how are they going to guard Jokic? What are they going to do to make him uncomfortable? And then we'll see how it goes from there. Do you think they're going to try to have Bam off, Bam, sorry, off ball um, and kind of as a rover? Because that's what they tried to do in the Lakers series, as you alluded yeah. to. But also, Bam isn't the shot blocker and defender. As I mean, he's a great defender, but not in the way Anthony Davis is. So yeah, how like would you approach it if you're Miami? I agree with you. He's not the shot blocking type. He's not the you know rim presence, if you will, that's going to protect the paint at all costs. I think... What Bam is great at defensively is being versatile, being able to switch into a zone, being able to be the anchor of that zone, then switch into man-to-man, being able to guard guys out on the perimeter, being able to play drop cover- coverage, uh, you know, show higher on screens, et cetera. Like this is, these, this is all, Bam can do literally everything defensively. He can do literally everything, every position defensively. But that's not what's required in order to guard Nikola Jokic. You need size. I think the Celtics would have had a better chance of guarding Nikola Jokic because you have Al Horford, you have Robert Williams, who's going to be that shot-blocking presence. Then you have guys like Grant Williams and Jason Tatum that you can throw out them. Just size. The size issue is the big issue with Miami. It's like they don't have enough big guys. I wonder if they opt to go with a smaller player on Nikola Jokic, like if they were to tell Caleb Martin to guard him or Haywood Highsmith or even Jimmy Butler, like, hey, we'll get a strong, stout defender to guard Nikola Jokic. You can score 100 points against us. Go ahead, one-on-one score as many points as you'd like, but we're not going to give you that double team. We're not going to help. We're not going to go ahead and give you opportunities to get your teammates involved because that's when Nikola Jokic kills you. And, and with that, do you think they're going to stay with a lot of zone? Because obviously the Nuggets shoot are a really good shooting yeah. team. Look, and man, also I, I, the helping. Like, I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. that I find that an interesting wrinkle in this series. No, you're right. You're right. I So I when I wrote the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals preview, I was like, 
I don't think the Celtic I don't think the Heat can run as much zone against the Celtics just because of how well the Celtics shoot from the floor. I mean, they can open you up, they can make a lot of shots. And yeah, that happened throughout the series, but they still played zone and they still played a lot of zone. And to be fair, the Celtics are not as good at uh executing against the zone as the Nuggets are. The Nuggets are going to be able to precision like surgically carve up this heat zone they will be able to do that 10 times as as good as as the celtics did it and i think that's probably where i lie i think they will still play some zone they probably will do it more against the bench lineups when nikola Jokic is off of the floor but i imagine they still throw it out there a lot just to do a bit of a change up i don't think they'll i don't think they're just going to regress and say hey we're not going to do the thing that has been the calling card of our defense you know and if because my my I just can't find a war. I mean, I'm sure people and analysts have been saying this all three rounds for the Heat, but I just don't see a way where the Heat find a way to to beat this Nuggets team unless there's obviously an injury. Do you like what if you're the Heat? What do you need to do and be amazing at or something tactically yeah. to 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 win this series against the Denver Nuggets? I think the I I, I don't I hate giving credit to the, like the experience factor, but I think there is uh, a side where you say the lack of experience is important. And, you know, the Nuggets have a lot of young guys, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray, obviously. Uh, They rely on guys like Bruce Brown. Maybe Christian Brown plays a little bit. And those are like younger players. They haven't had NBA Finals experience. Um, And I think, you know, even Nikola Jokic hasn't had Finals experience. None of these guys really outside of KCP and Jeff Green, I believe, have have had uh, NBA Finals experience here. So, like, I think maybe there's a world where the Nuggets don't shoot well. Like, let's say the the spotlight is too bright and they don't shoot as well as they normally would. Maybe Michael Porter Jr. has a cold streak in the NBA Finals. Maybe Jamal Murray doesn't go microwave on them. And that's how the Heat win. The Heat won't win because of what they've inflicted, but it would be because the Nuggets haven't really been that pressure point or or push that pressure point as they could have with the shooting aspect of things. I think that's where it would go wrong. And then the other side is like, Hey, the heat role players have to knock down the shots, right? Yeah. It it sounds like a little bit of that is if Jamal Murray is what he's been all over, like since since starting the playoffs, if he's that level for the finals, that it's almost impossible. Yeah. win. it it feels like he's the X factor because you know what you're going to get with Jokic and, He's been not just good. He's been great. Yeah, all-time level playoff performance. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure if I would uh, like bet money on Miami winning this series. I mean, although maybe the odds are great, um, but I, would, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I think mm. there's a lot of people that are saying, you know, the Heat have no chance. The Heat have no opportunity when it comes to winning this series. Thank you for coming. Thank you for competing type of thing. But like... I said that against the Celtics. I actually even said that against the Knicks. And I thought mm. that they would lose against the Bucks. you know, yeah, even though we didn't know the whole Giannis injury thing. Um, I, we've been, I've been wrong three times in a row about this Heat team. They've consistently proved me wrong. They can do it again in these finals. They have found ways to be able to be successful against really, really good teams. Celtics, Bucks, Knicks, those were good teams this season. Um, and I think, I think, they can they can do it again it's just it's grim it's it's not a great chance to be able to do it what i really like about the series it really feels like it's the two smartest teams 
in the finals, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense to you, because yeah. obviously everyone's talked about the heat, but just the nuggets have been so smart, so good offensively. Obviously a lot of that is Jokic, but that's what I'm so excited about because you're just going to see so much interesting, like differences between the two teams, adjustments, um, and and they're such smart teams, which I love to watch as a basketball nerd. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm really excited for the series. Um, uh, yeah. So thanks so much, S, for for doing this. Is there anything else um, that you want to kind of uh, plug for SDPN or your podcast or anything coming up that uh, uh, the listeners should stay tuned for? Uh, listen, no, you can you can tap in, do the things you guys usually do. Appreciate anybody who is listening right now. Uh, shout out to y'all. The only thing I would like to plug is you guys should go ahead and follow Alex Adams on Twitter <laughs> at Alex Adams BTP. Yeah, yes, that's for behind ahead. the play. Yeah, behind the play. Yes, follow him. Do those things, and you will be <laughs> successful in life. So there, there we go. That's all I'll say. Plugging away, Alex. Wow, you did a that's, good job. Thank that's you, man. The... appreciate it. I, that's the first time I've ever had that on, on my podcast where someone's <laughs> plugged me when I've asked them to, to, or I've asked them about being plugged. So I really appreciate that, man. And course, man. Uh, uh, I'm really excited to to see what the, what's next for you and SDPN and, and the basketball pod and your writing. So uh, keep crushing it. And, and thanks so much for taking the time and doing this. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate you.